You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme. And I tell you what, let me start with a very quick Vox Pop that was taken up uh, yesterday because several pubs, particularly pubs around Dublin, uh, decided to broadcast the committee meetings yesterday. Some pubs around the country decided to show it instead of showing the Tour de France or instead of showing Wimbledon yesterday afternoon, they opted instead because that's what the punters and the pubs wanted. They wanted to see the Iraq this uh, committee meeting. So we sent a reporter out just to get the thoughts of those who went along to some of the pubs to watch the proceedings. But first on this Vox Pop, we're going to hear from former RTE correspondent Kieran Malouli, uh, who said yesterday's Oireachtas Committee meetings had actually added more to uh, the confusion. Talking to RTE staff, past and present, I get the sense that while there is some sympathy for Ryan Tuberty in terms of finding himself in this situation, there remains so many questions that are unanswered. Will Ryan Tuberty come back to the station after some of the statements this morning with regard to RTE management, many of whom are still in position? I think many of my colleagues will find it unlikely that he will return to the air in the short term at least. I wasn't impressed with his failure to refer back to this culture of paying these salaries in the first instance. Ryan Tuberty did refer to them today as being enormous amounts of money. And it's only when you put them alongside the average wage in the newsroom, less than €80,000, and you put it alongside freelancers who lost their job and their work with RTE during COVID that you realise how unacceptable they are, how, how many people still can't stomach these payments. You have to see him back in the radio. But I think he should be a politician. If he can get back into the radio, he should join Fianna Falls and become a politician. Never kick a man when he's down. Good luck, Ryan. I think the media like to keep the story going when there's a little, a little bit of nugget of, of titillation, <laughs> you know, that sells. So I think that's why it's kept going longer than it has. Brilliant. Absolutely. It's uh, dramatic. It's good television. I'm not a fan of Truby in the first place, but I do feel sorry for him the way he's been treated. Made a scapegoat, and I wouldn't blame him if he went to England. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree. It certainly was uh, good television. But of course, the big question now is uh, will Ryan Tuberty be allowed back on air? It was very obvious yesterday in his discussions with both of the Oireachtas committees that that's where he wants to be. He wants to be back on air. And I think at one stage he says he wants to be back on air as uh, soon as uh, possible. And of course, that decision is very much going to be down to the new Director General uh, of RTE, Kevin uh, Backhurst. And he said on Monday he plans to make a decision about Ryan Tuberty's future at RTE. Um, He was going to wait to see what happened at the committee uh, meetings because he said that would be an important aspect of his decision making uh, process. But he also was going to take into consideration the feelings of the staff. And this is going to be, I think, a big stumbling block for Ryan Tuberty. I was reading, for example, in the Irish Times this morning, a piece by uh, Colm Keener, who went around and he's spoken with a lot of RTE uh, staff, all of them obviously uh, remaining anonymous. But um, for example, one reporter uh, said to uh, Colm Keener, people like Ryan Tuberty, he's a decent guy. There is no malice against him, but people resent the fact that he was able to go on with a heavy weight like Noel Kelly and exhort gigantic sums 
by way of wages when you think about how other staff members were earning nothing even close uh, to that. Uh, he said, I think the jury is out. Staff will work with him if he comes back, but it will be a bit awkward. If he doesn't get back in, people will understand why he's not going to return to the airwaves because at the moment there's a question mark over his credibility. The reporter didn't think it was a good day either yesterday for Kevin Back- Backhurst because the testimony from Ryan Tuberty and Noel Caddy raised questions from members of the RTE executive team, but also the RTE press office. They very quickly issued a statement yesterday morning taking issue with some of the material that the Public Accounts uh, Committee heard from the two witnesses. And there was a lot of people saying they kind of jumped in a bit too fast with their statement yesterday morning. Now, another senior reporter had a negative view of Ryan Tuberty's performance yesterday. It's, um, this reporter said, it didn't lance the boil. I just felt really angry from the point of view of people who work in RTE. I would say he's not welcome back. High salaries were always a festering sore for people within RTE. But now it's been burst into the open and everyone is really upset. Everyone is really angry. And I know he knows nothing else other than working in RTE. I'm sure it is a horrific wrench for him. But I don't know how he can return to a work. Um, the reporter added it was very difficult for him to pretend that he was just one of us when he was on so much money. But he kind of managed it and everyone just seemed to turn a blind eye to it. He is a nice guy, but now the grubby workings of how he gets his money has been disclosed and that's not sitting well with staff members. And a former senior editorial executive with RTE said he believed Ryan Tuberty had performed well yesterday and that as a result it'll now be more difficult for Kevin Backhurst to tell him that he can't return to RTE. He came in, he said, well, this is Ryan, he came in with all guns blazing, blazing, but he had to. I think he has gone a long way towards saving his career. And a retired commercial executive with the station said he believed it would be a terrible shame if Ryan Tuberty was not allowed to return to work as a national broadcaster. He said he faltered a little little bit every so often but that was because it was wearisome appearing before both committees on the stuff he was passionate about he was really passionate about it and that is a winning and that's where this former retired commercial executive uh, felt he came across at best and I know I saw online yesterday there was some criticism of saying oh you know why were they brought before two committees all in the one day I have to point out that was the decision of Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly they voluntarily went before both committees because they had invitations from both the media committee and the public accounts committee and it was their choice to do it both in one day I think they just wanted to get in there get it over and done with rather than do it on one day and then have to go back in the following day a little bit like what happened was that last week I'm so confused now we've watched so many rock this committee meetings where you had the RT executive in first before the media committee and then the following day they were back in before the PAC obviously Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly would have been watching those two days last week and decided let's get in there. It's going to be painful. We might as well take all the pain in one hit. But it it was. By the end of the day, everybody, I think everybody certainly in the afternoon were absolutely exhausted uh, from it all. And what was frustrating me was uh, the, the, the members of the Oireachtas Committee, all of them, a lot, not all of them, a lot of them, asking questions that had already been asked. And therefore, you just had Noel Kelly uh, once again, repeating what he had said earlier, repeating what he had said in the morning, it was the same for Ryan Tuberty. That, to me, 
it just got a bit tedious and, uh, and, and a bit annoying, uh, I think. OK, let me go to some of your thoughts and comments that are coming into us this morning. Hi, Patricia. No, I don't think Ryan Toberty should be allowed back on the RTE uh, airwaves. Maybe if he joined another radio station, the likes of News Talk Today FM, but certainly he shouldn't be allowed back on the airwaves of RTE as relations definitely won't be good with other staff members. Maybe there's a job for Ryan with yourself and JP on C103. We couldn't afford him. We really couldn't afford him. Jerry said, Patricia, I listened to the whole questioning by the Public Accounts Committee of Ryan Toberty and Noel Kelly yesterday and all I can describe it as, as was a debacle. And to be honest, it's now time that the Public Accounts Committee was disbanded and an independent body set up with no politician involved. Yesterday was a shambles. For And for a committee that was dealing with this for the last three weeks, many of them seemed totally unprepared in the questioning of both parties. The PAC were grasping at straws and struggling with what to ask. It really was awful. Kind regards, that's from Jerry. And Anne by text says, well, did you catch up on the TV show yesterday? It did feel a little bit like a TV show, didn't it? Ryan Toberty put on a great performance yesterday, yet he couldn't answer half of the questions without Noel Kelly's help. If Ryan Toberty wants to save his image, then I think he needs to sack his agent immediately. The agent is there to look after the client's uh, contract, finance, and most importantly, he's there to look after his um, reputation. Ryan Toberty's reputation is destroyed. Ryan's future in RTE will be decided by the staff and the advertisers. I think from personal evidence, the staff are still beyond angry within RTE. And Michael says, Patricia, hi. Oh, dearie me. That was a great catchphrase of the late Gay Byrne. And I think that's how he would be summing up yesterday's performance if he was on air uh, today. Michael felt it was lies, lies and more lies. The plot thickens. And the sad thing is that Ryan Toberty and Noel Kelly are convinced that they're telling the truth. When, when anyone is telling the truth, you don't need to refer to notes. You don't need to ask another person beside you or behind you for an answer. If you're truth telling, you, you speak your truth. Yes, Tuberty said he will pay the money back. But who does he pay the money back to? He says he's going to pay back the money for work not done to an organisation he didn't know who was paying him, that he was billed for in another unorthodox way via a UK company that he'd never heard of on an invoice with no name and a wrong description sent by his agent's second firm. Now, Patricia, you figure that one out, please, because I can't. And tell me that Ryan Tuberty did nothing wrong. He can no longer be described as toast because he's now badly burnt toast. Yes, I also think there will be further ramifications from this whole dirty saga. Thanking you and a quick look at some of your calls in. Bill in Clonakilty says nobody would believe Ryan Toberty and Noel Kelly yesterday. Ryan answered about 12% of the questions. Noel Kelly, the other, if anybody asked people their wage, we you would all have a fair idea or know exactly what you get every month. Also, what... Bill in Clonakilty would like to know did anybody ask anyone from the management of Renault to come before any of the Oireachtas committee meetings? Surely they would all have contracts from their end and they would know what was said, agreed and also 
they could be asked who got cars and deals from them within RTE. By the way, says Billing Clonakilty. Isn't a great advertising for Renault? Look at the amount of mentions they're getting on the back of it. Irene is in Middleton. She says, I do like Ryan Tuberty and still do. But after watching yesterday, I feel maybe it's time for him to leave RTE and go for new ventures in the UK as now is the time for change. He's nothing to lose uh, here in Ireland except it's all he knows and he's and he desperately wants uh, to stay. And Martin in Dumamway says, I would like I would not like to see him back, mainly because how could anybody watch or listen to somebody on that kind of money and knowing how he obtained part of his wages, particularly over the lockdowns. He did nothing wrong from a legal point of view, but Martin wouldn't be happy to have him back on air. Alma in Canturk says all of the politicians are sniping at Ryan Tuberty. The politicians need to look at themselves and their own wages. I need to take a very quick break um, but before I do just give a mention that we've had some calls in this morning from people who turned on the tap this morning in Skibbereen area and they are without uh, water and it's I don't know which is worse to be without electricity or to be without uh, water. So we got on to Ishka Aaron on their behalf and they tell us they're currently investigating reports of supply disruptions affecting Skibbereen and the surrounding areas. To me it looks like some kind of a break and if it is they haven't discovered it yet because they're still investigating uh, it and if we get any further update on that we will bring it uh, to you. That's for people in the Skibbereen and surrounding areas. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. Well, it was certainly a tough day at the office uh, yesterday for broadcaster Ryan Tuberty, who, according to his agent, Noel Kelly, has been made the poster boy for the RTE scandal. Fine Gael, adult deputy Colin Burke, was one of the Public Accounts Committee to question the two yesterday. And he joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to Colin. Good morning, Patricia. Now, were you expecting that the finger of blame was going to be so very much pointed at RTE yesterday by both Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly? Um, I don't think we were expecting that. Um, there was a need for clarification to be provided in respect of the, on the one hand, there was a contract between RTE and uh, Total Productions Limited, which is um, Ryan Tuberty's company and then there was also an agreement then between Renault, um, RT and Ryan Turberty, uh, two separate contracts. The second contract was for 75000 um, and I think we needed clarification as regards how that was established. Why were the invoices sent to the UK to a company that no one had heard of before. And my view was that the contract was in Ireland, the delivery of the service was in Ireland, all the parties involved were in Ireland, yet the invoice for the payment of the money was sent to the UK. You don't pay VAT by doing that, of course. You don't pay VAT by doing that, but that's another that's another day's work in relation to that issue. Um uh, you know, whether or not revenue will come back and look at that whole issue. But I've never heard of it before, and I've never heard of a scenario where, um, you know, it's like I um, owed money, and I come along, and I tell you, well, I want you to send on the invoice to a totally different company. I'm sure you would be the first to, to raise quest- questions. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, know, and, and, that- then, and this is not small money. This is 75000 And in fact, 
in one year, like it was 150,000. The other issue that which didn't really come up yesterday was about the fact that the barter company account, which I call uh, a slush fund, and I gave it a definition of that, a legal definition of that, which is a reserve of money uh, secretly held by a company without any, any accountability as to its use. And the problem was that it was not just about the payment of 75,000 out, uh, I put just a total of 150,000, two payments of 75,000. But there was then also a further charge of 40,280 euros into the barter account. So the total bill each time was 115,280 euros. But um, that was nothing to do with, with the two yesterday. They, no, they, know, no, no. Knew, you know, they knew nothing about a barter account. No, they, they knew nothing. And this is the issue that I was really surprised at. If they knew nothing about this account, then... Why weren't there more questions asked as to why we should make out this invoice uh, to this company uh, when we've never had any contact with it previously? Um, and I think the um, the there's still uh, one of the issues that I think has now happened is that it is clear from the evidence yesterday that there was an overreaction by the RT authorities, and I think they're back in tomorrow morning. Um, I will be dealing with that tomorrow morning in the Public Accounts Committee. Um, should there have been more um, work done before any statement was issued? Ryan Tuberty yesterday uh, said that he was contacted a half an hour before the statement was issued by RTE. And in that statement, he's mentioned on 15 separate occasions. Mm. So it would raise serious questions about how that decision uh, was arrived at to issue a statement, a detailed statement, without listening to, uh, without actually identifying all the issues, identifying how they arose, and identifying who made the decisions. The other issue that I'm concerned about is the fact that there initially seemed to have been uh, very much uh, a blame game where the outgoing director general was was the person identified as being more or less implied that this person was the only person that knew about this account, whereas in fact it now transpires that a whole lot of people knew about this um, this, this uh, contract for the 75,000 and it wasn't just one person. So we're still really none the wiser on exactly how many people were involved in that part of the deal. Well, we do witness that yesterday was confirmed that the commercial department were involved, um, the director general was involved, the legal department were involved. So there were quite a number of people involved in it. It wasn't um, just T Forbes who got thrown under the bus last week, as if it was it all of her makings. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean the 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 other issue that I find strange is about the contract that was um, the contract that was um, we were. Um, that we received. What's interesting about that contract between the three parties, there is no mention of what the consideration is. So I find that very strange that there was no mention of the 75,000. It was just an agreement as regards what service would be provided, but not the consideration. Okay, and listening to um, Ryan Toberty yesterday morning when he was before you at the PAC and then no doubt you watched in the afternoon when he was before the media committee, do you think he's done enough to restore uh, faith and to, and for, to have public confidence in him? Do you think he's done enough? 
Well, I think this will depend tomorrow on what response we get. Remember, RT have been into us, Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly have been into us. It's, it'll be interesting to see what the response from RT will be tomorrow um, and see, you know, there's there's some truth in what everyone is saying, but there's also uh, a lot of misinformation of what people are saying. So we need to identify what are the true and accurate facts and then establish, you know, where um, the decision lies about how RT goes forward. But it's one thing clear is that there is no justification for any company, whether it's public or private, to have an account where there is no accountability to the auditors as to how money is managed in that account. And that's the one key issue. The other issue is about, you know, the the fact that the full details of salary were not in the public domain and how the fact when the incorrect information was put out there, how it wasn't corrected. And I think, you know, one of the things that Ryan Tuberty said, he regrets not having corrected it, but I think it's 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 difficult, you know, for the general public to understand, you know, is it a case that it was deliberately ignored by him and his agent, or was it a case that, well, I'll go and correct that at some date in the future? Mm. Unfortunately, this whole um, uh, debacle has um, now you know, brought out information that wasn't in the public domain previously. And I think one of the things that happens then is that there is a whole build-up by the general public of mistrust um, because um, the issue wasn't transparent. Yeah. Have you confidence in the new DG and what you're hearing and seeing from him so far, Kevin Packhurst? I have confidence in him, but I I think the, the issue is that I don't think people should be rushing into making decisions that can have um, long-term consequences. I think this needs to be um, carefully taught out as regards the way forward. It also needs to take time. And I don't believe that decisions should be rushed at, uh, rushed into in at the present time, uh, that there's further information that we require to receive. As you know, there's a number of other investigations going on we need to get the results of all of those before um, the long-term plan for RT is put in place and how it's restructured, how its management board is put into on a permanent footing and indeed how its board of directors um, are also appointed. And I think we need to look at all of those issues. Okay. But I don't think it's something that we should decide by the end of July. It's something oh. that will take a bit of time. It's an organisation that turns over over 150 million a year it's a state broadcaster. And we also need to look at, from the point of view of local radio and everything else, is that we also need to look for a long-term plan for how we manage and support local radio as well. And I think that's extremely important. Okay. Well, well, well said, Colm. Well, well said. Now, listen, okay. so, so, the, so the RT executive are back uh, in before the PAC uh, tomorrow. We know it'll be Kevin Backhurst's uh, first time before the committee because he's now uh, officially the, the DG do you know, will any of the former people who attended, particularly the ones who've got questions to answer, 
uh, now that we've got further information, will all of them be uh, attending? I mean, I saw, for example, today that uh, Breathe Kelly, who was the star last week, uh, but now it looks like a lot of what she said has been disputed yesterday. Well, that, by the that's, sorry, that's Breathe O'Keefe. Breathe O'Keefe, sorry. Yep. Um, and she has now said she's not going to attend. She's not available to attend. Well, she wasn't She wasn't required to attend because, she, remember, she's not an employee of RT. Yeah, she's former. She, she came in voluntarily. Yeah. So she's, we... Oh, okay, we could compel her in at some stage, but I'm not sure, you know, at the moment whether that's relevant. I think it clearly, it was clearly, it was clearly set out that um, the, the there was an email sent where she clearly set out that the um, seventy five thousand payment would be underwritten. Yeah, but she said something different last week that she... Yes. She, yeah. Uh, OK, but will any of the... Do you know who's going to be before you tomorrow? I haven't seen the list. haven't seen it, I'm OK. currently just after to out from the Johns Rockers Commission Health, so I haven't okay. had All right. a chance of updating. OK, I, I'll, 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 I'll let you get back into that uh, commission meeting. But before I do, one final question. Will Do you believe Ryan Toberty will be back on the airwaves of RTE? I'm not sure. I, I think it was a direct question I put to him yesterday. Did he want to, <clears throat> to go back to RT? He clearly set out that he wanted to come back to do radio. Um, and he made it quite clear yesterday under and a number of other people asking the same question. This is a matter for RT to look at and to see how, um, you know, they respond tomorrow to see how, what do they intend doing from a long-term point of view and does he fit in to um, the long-term plan? And I think that's something that will take some time to consider. It won't be immediate. OK. All right, listen, uh, Colin, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us and today. My, Thank my you apologies about the disturbance, Don't worry, don't worry, you're OK. You're OK, you did fine. Listen, thanks for that, Colin. Okay. Uh, thanks for Thank joining you. us. Bye-bye. Uh, that is uh, Cork... Fina Gale, Joel Deputy, uh, Colin Burke, Patton from Oyset on people refusing to pay their TV licence. And there's a lot of people talking about doing that at the moment. RT are already in massive financial problems. I feel the TV licence will have to be reformed. And remember, that's what they, that's what the government were looking at doing before this scandal all uh, broke. And obviously they've put that on the back burner for the moment. Anyway, uh, Pat says the TV licence will have to be reformed as the current system simply is not uh, working. So something has to happen in order to keep RTE and public service broadcasting uh, going. Pat would suggest that RTE has to be downsized. They need to get rid of staff. He would also suggest getting rid of the RTE concert orchestras and other services they uh, provide to ensure they survive. More than likely, they will need money from the government. Well, that's not more than likely. That's a definite, Pat. They're going to need money before the end of the year. And Pat is also questioning, do we need to have uh, TG uh, Cahar? Now, TG Cahar is separate from RTE, but they are linked via the news uh, service. But um, And TG Cahar does receive state funding and they receive licence uh, fee money and they do have a separate board. I don't know how much of their, I'll look into that, I don't know how much of their funding uh, comes from the licence fee. I think a a big portion of it does because it's one of the things for the Public Service Broadcasting Remit is the uh, supporting and encouraging the Irish uh, language. So I don't know how much uh, do they get versus how much RTE get because I think at the moment RTE get about 60% of their funding comes from the licence and 40% from commercial. We'll find out what the split is for TG Cahar. But anyway, that's an aside. 
uh, point because Patty and Fomoy is questioning do we actually need it? And people in the Gwaeltoft areas, uh, Pat will say for sure they do. Now a huge amount of commentary obviously uh, coming in about Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly and I will get back uh, to that issue but I want to move to a different topic because the country's legal advice charity FLAC has warned that gaps in the civil legal aid system are leaving people exposed to serious and potentially catastrophic consequences with around a quarter of people who rang its helpline not able to get through. Joining me from the Free Legal Advice Centre is Christopher Bowes who is their legal officer. Good morning to you Christopher. Good morning Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Do you have an explanation as to why so many calls are not getting through? Is, is, it, is it possibly down to an increase in the number of calls to your service? Yes, that's exactly it, Patricia. So since COVID-19, we saw a huge bump in the number of calls coming through to our phone line. And as a result of that, we increased the resources on the phone line. And we also um, resourced um, the people working on our phone line to deal with more complex queries. However, we still can't meet the demand in terms of the level of calls that are coming through. So we've seen record numbers last year in terms of both the number of family law queries and the number of employment law queries coming through to that telephone information line. And even though we were able to deal with over 13,000 calls which came through to the telephone information line where we can offer people basic legal information, um, we estimate that there were still over 4,000 people who couldn't get through and weren't able to access that service. And unfortunately, some people who did get through were only able to do so after um, making multiple calls. So our issue is that although we've increased the resources um, on that telephone information line, we're still not able to deal with the level of demand for early legal advice and information. So the way we operate in Slack is we operate in two ways mainly. We have a telephone information line where we can offer people basic legal information and we also have free legal advice clinics where people can sit down um, for a consultation with a volunteer barrister or solicitor to get um, early legal advice in relation to their query, but the main way we get those um, appointments for those legal advice sessions is through the telephone information line. But unfortunately, we're just not able to deal with yeah. the demand for that service. At and the then, moment. if people can't get through, they can't get in to sit down to chat to somebody. And it, and if people are not getting through, uh, Christopher, what can be some of the consequences for them? Well, this is the issue. I mean, our experience in Slack, because in addition to providing these early services. Um, We also um, provide legal representation in a limited number of cases. And what we often, what we know from our experience in providing these services, it's a bit like public health or preventative medicine. A problem is best dealt with early so it doesn't escalate. So oftentimes if someone doesn't get early legal advice or early legal information, it can lead to a legal issue going to court, not unnecessarily, but where it could have been dealt with earlier. And that can have huge consequences, both financially, but also in terms of um, stress and in terms of anxiety, which the person has to deal with. So we know from our experience that it's best to try and get get that information early and to try and get the problem resolved as quickly as possible. But unfortunately, the way the state system of civil legal aid in Ireland works at the moment is that the service provided is focused only on representation before the courts, and there's very, very limited scope for legal advice. In particular, there's no scope for this early legal information and and advice, which we think is crucial and which the demand for our service shows there's a clear demand for it. So even in an area like family law, where a person can get civil legal aid in Ireland, we still see that the majority of calls coming through to our telephone information line are people looking for information in relation to family law queries. And unfortunately, many of those people 
either have been granted or are eligible for civil legal aid, but they still want that early information which they can't get under the current scheme. Yeah, and it, 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 is, it, is, your, is FLAC state funded? Is, is, this, is this a funding issue? So FLAC is um, an independent voluntary organisation, so we're, we're not the state system of civil legal aid. We do receive some state funding um, for our telephone information line. Um, however, we're also then funded independently um, through the Law Society provides us with so, some funding, as does um, the Law Library. But um, what we've seen at the moment is that the answer, as with so many of these issues in terms of public services, we don't believe it should be left to an independent voluntary organisation to meet this gap. So while we're happy to add further resources and for our phone line to be resourced further, at the heart of the issue, we think, is that the state services need to start responding to this issue in an appropriate way and start providing a well-resourced and comprehensive state scheme of civil legal aid. Something that's a particular um, issue for us is that we often see state organisations such as the Workplace Relations Commission or the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission, even the Legal Aid Board itself, referring people, contacting them onto the FLAC telephone information line to get this early information and advice. And what we think, what we're saying is those organisations, those state bodies who receive far greater funding than FLAC and often have these um, remits to provide... um, information to people you know under legislation are still passing the calls on to us so while of course resources are always necessary and we do think that in any system of civil legal aid or any public legal assistance um, system in a country there'll always be a place for independent organizations and we certainly think that but what we really want the focus to be on is rethinking how these state bodies in particular the legal aid board approaches providing civil legal aid because we think they need to not just expand the areas in which they provide civil legal aid, because at the moment it's a big concern for us that even an area like employment law, there's no civil legal aid before the Workplace Relations Commission at the moment. So even though we see thousands of people contacting us every year looking for information in relation to employment law, we then have nowhere to refer them on for representation if they can't afford a private solicitor. So definitely funding and resourcing for organisations like FLAC is a part of the picture, but there's a bigger picture issue that needs to be solved in terms of how the state approaches providing these legal services, and we think there needs to be a major rethink there. The good news is there's an ongoing review of the state scheme of civil legal aid. Um, Former Chief Justice Frank Clark, who's chairing that review, launched our annual report yesterday. So we're hopeful that FLAC's experience can inform that review and that we will see this change, which we see from our experience is necessary in terms of how the state approaches providing legal aid. Well done, well done. And, and, and all of your members here provide a fantastic service. So I suppose finally, Christopher, to anybody listening, who it is one of those uh, one in fours that was having difficulty getting through. What's your advice just to keep trying and that hopefully you will eventually have your call answered? Yeah, no, we'd, we'd tell people to keep trying. People okay. can get through eventually. You know, we see kind of peaks in terms of times when a lot of people are trying to get through. But if people do need early legal information, they can contact us on 01906 1010 and uh, hopefully we'll be able to assist them in whatever way we can. And if necessary, they'll be set up for an appointment with a volunteer solicitor or a barrister or you know, receive an appropriate referral to someone who can provide, provide them with further assistance. Well done. OK, we leave it there, Christopher. Thank you for that.
And thank uh, thanks much, for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Christopher Bowes and Christopher is the legal officer with the Free Legal Advice uh, Centre and according and listening to him this morning uh, uh, and it's outlined in their annual report they just need a reimagining of the legal services provided by the state in this country. Hopefully they will be heard. Uh, Deputy Michael Moynihan has been on to us. Um, Michael was on to us um, earlier on in the uh, week because there was concerns over the future of South Dock in Canturk and I spoke about the fact that Canturk is one of the rural cells when it comes to uh, South Stock. So this was a concern for a lot of people because it does cover a wide uh, area. So Deputy Michael Moynihan said he was going to get in contact with the Minister for Health to find out what is going on and to try to get some kind of a firm promise that the South Dock in Canturk was going to be secure going forward. And he's just received a letter from Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, uh, to say, thank you for getting in contact with me in relation to the South Dock out of our service in Canturk. I've engaged with the HSC in relation to your concerns and they have in turn engaged directly with South Dock. Arising from these communications, I can confirm that South Dock services in Canturk are continuing in place and there are no proposals to alter or close the service. Southstock has confirmed the service in Canturk is to continue. The out of hour service remains available to patients and full access to the service provided by them. The South Dock Treatment Centre facility in Canturk will continue to be maintained by appointment as is currently the case and any patients that may require a house visit due to their clinical condition will be treated accordingly. Okay, so that's uh, a little bit of um, confidence for the people of Canturk can take comfort, sorry should I say they can take comfort from that. South Dock in Canturk is to remain as is. 0818103103 Let me return to a huge, huge um, amount of commentary in about the Oireachtas committees yesterday. Uh, John O'Donovan in the city said the repeat questioning of Ryan Tuberty and why he made the decision to give up on the late, late show. Ryan Tupperty said it was due to him being burnt out following uh, COVID. But Ryan, says John, wasn't looking in the windows at loved ones dying, elderly and vulnerable people whose confidence was shattered after the pandemic. And yet he states that was the reason that he he decided to resign from the late, late. What is missing, says John, with many of these broadcasters is emotional intelligence. And it shows, says John, how out of touch they are. A couple of people in on TG Cahar because one person has suggested that RTE to save money could axe TG Cahar. Martin McCroom says, I really like TG Carr, watch it a lot. They do great documentaries on Ireland and other shows of interest. They are completely different to what is on offer from RTE. Una in Glamour feeling the same. She's a fan of TG uh, Cahar. She likens it to our Channel 4 in the UK. It shows different types of programmes. She would rather keep TG Cahar and cut back on RTE. And what she particularly likes about TG Cahar is they, they show original shows, not just the, the fact that it's in the Irish language but the fact that they are made here in Ireland and John in Cove felt crocodile tears were shed uh, yesterday no shame what, no shame about what is happening in this country today we've got the fire service fighting for their rights the defence forces are the same along with the Gardaí we've doctors and nurses all looking for proper pay scales and looking for money to simply keep the doors of hospitals uh, open and yet we'd Ryan Tuberty saying he was burned 
burnt out following COVID? What about all of the other workers? What about shop workers who were abused on a daily basis during uh, COVID? And John Paul says lots of other uh, people were rang up commenting on the fact they kind of took umbrage to Ryan Tuberty saying that he was burnt out after COVID because we're saying people went through a lot uh, in this uh, country. Uh, so people not happy with him saying that that was the reason that he gave up at uh, the uh, late, late. Uh, Barry says, Patricia, they're on about RTE. Will they ever give it a break? And a third of the country starving. The government want to do some, would want to do something about that. And they need to be talking about that and talking about housing, not wasting their time talking about RTE. Uh, somebody's saying, um, and unfortunately, I, I didn't see your text. I don't know if it came in while I was chatting with uh, Colin Burke. Uh, is another person suggesting that the PAC should bring in Renault in before the Oireachtas Committee meeting and get their side of the story. Joan says, I think Ryan Tuberty's agent, Noel Kelly, has a lot to answer for. I think Ryan seems to be taken over by him. Micah says, Patricia, how, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. I watched some of yesterday's committee meetings. I think it was totally contradictory, though, to what we previously heard. I wonder, will the now former executives come back before the committee to answer the contradictory evidence, saying that the two deals weren't linked is like saying shoelaces aren't crossed over. Ryan was passionate, but came across as the innocent little puppy. As one committee member pointed out, he made €8 million Euro in recent years in RTE. It's an obscene amount of money. It is. Yeah, it's, it's, it is incredible. Some of your WhatsApps, Dan, says Patricia Ryan Tuberty. Just how much did we actually get from yesterday's six-hour test of endurance? And by that I mean for the politicians and for the public. I felt that Ryan Tuberty was more focused on his performance to the general public rather than trying to address the real issues. That being his stunning earnings and the manner in which those monies were transferred to his bank accounts. I feel he was very condescending towards some of the politicians and it seemed to me he was treating them as if they were a late, late show audience. Indeed, I think the whole performance was very much late, late show based. It was too much about poor Ryan rather than providing clarity on the whole contract and the payment issues. Also, on the 150,000 k that he says he will gladly pay, pay back, is that the contract not over and done with now, but yet that money is still resting in his bank account? And please don't start me on his pay cut of half a million euro. Uh, a bit out of touch with reality, I think. And that's where the change needs to be within RTE to get through this whole debacle and return it to it being a trusted organisation. That's from Dan. Thank you, Dan. Hi, Patricia. This is somebody critical of Brian Stanley. And I saw uh, Brian Stanley was the is the chair of the PAC uh, in the morning. I, I saw some some similar criticism online to this. And this was Brian's. Uh, this is a text saying Brian, Brian Stanley was out of order with what, what this system felt was derogatory comments on chocolate and the selling of chocolate when he was questioning Noel Kelly. He was making him out to be a wheeler dealer. This is when he, when Noel Kelly said that how did he start out in life and he started out, he was a sales rep for Cadbury and Brian Stanley said, what were you selling? And Noel Kelly said, chocolate. Like <laughs> Cadbury, what else would you be selling? And there was a lot of people picked up on that and thought it was trying to make him out, oh, the wheeler dealer, he starts out selling chocolate and suddenly, you know, he's up 
making millions for his uh, clients. This texter also wasn't impressed with Matty McGrath being sees an embarrassment as a TD. He can't string a decent sentence together. No politician should be allowed on these boards as most of them are untrustworthy themselves. They take huge salaries and expenses and guess what? That all comes from the public purse. Imelda Munster did nothing except repeat herself, said this texter. Another texter says, oh, for God's sake, here we go again with the whitewashing. Tubbs is not a nice guy, according to this texter. That's his TV persona. His actions show he would walk all over you if he got the chance. He's not sorry. He's just sorry that he got caught. It's fraud. You and I would go to jail, Patricia, if we don't pay our TV licence. He colluded in fraud with taxpayers' money and he wants us to believe that he didn't know anything about it. He really believes we are Egypts and that we will simply swallow his lies. Margaret said, did anybody else, uh, did anybody ask whose idea it was to go down that route to pay Ryan Tuberty that way? RTE are definitely not coming out good out of this, I would imagine. It'd be very hard for the staff if Ryan Tuberty was to go back, says Margaret. It would be very hard for staff to work with him. Well, they're still trying to get, we now know that a lot of people were involved in that decision to pay the extra 75,000 a year. I mean, I think that kind of got clarified yesterday. Who was the one person who came up with the idea? I don't know if we'll ever get to that. Um, leave that one aside. Uh, hi, Patricia. This is Jim, who was listening when Colin Burke was on. And in fairness to him, he did step out from an Oireachtas committee meeting. And obviously, there was a door being constantly opened and closed in the background. Now, we got on OK, but Jim says, Patricia, would you tell Colin to get the doll handyman to put a little bit of oil on that squeaky door? Anyway, to Jim's text. For flip's sake, pardon the pun, how can RTE ask the government for a handout? to keep them afloat. After all the handouts they've been handing out to their stars with top-up payment, cars and car allowances and everything coming from barter counts to slush funds, they'll be lucky if the majority of people will ever pay a TV licence again, says uh, Jim, and therein will lie a major problem because if they don't get the money in from uh, RTE, uh, you know what will happen then. They'll be going back cap in hand to the uh, government. And just on the rose of uh, Tralee, Somebody wants to point out that the Rose of Tralee is a, is very profitable for RTE because it has huge viewing figures and a vast number of people like it worldwide. So cancelling it, says this texter, would simply be counterproductive thinking at you. 0818-103-103. I'll go back to more of your comments as we go through the programme. There's just so many of them coming in. But can I go to just a different issue for a second? Because we had a call in from Mary, who's contacted us, and she wants to know, is this happening to many other uh, people? Her partner had to go to his local GP last Thursday so a week ago uh, tomorrow and whatever was wrong with him the doctor said yeah you need a prescription I don't know I don't know what what the prescription was for but anyway he needed a prescription to get sorted out so as all the doctors are doing now the doctor said I'll electronically send it over to your pharmacist so Mary's partner said pharmacy of their choice and off the prescription went are so Mary and the partner thought. Anyway, they've been in up to yesterday. The prescription still had not arrived. Now they've been inquiring to be told, oh sorry, we're very busy at the moment. It can usually take two days 
to uh, send it out. Mary said they then made the offer. Could they go physically back into the GP practice and pick up the prescription themselves? And they were told, no, it'll be issued in two days. And by the way, says Mary, they're not medical card patients. These are private patients. Her partner paid for the doctor. He'll have to pay for his prescriptions as well. The latest is the prescription now is being treated as a priority. But nearly a week later, if it doesn't arrive by tomorrow, it will be a week I hope it isn't an urgent antibiotic that your partner is waiting for, Mary. And she's wondering, is this happening to anybody else? I mean, I certainly have had prescriptions electronically sent from the uh, doctor. I've never, ever waited that long. I have gone straight from the doctor's office to a chemist and it wasn't over straight away. There might have been a bit of a a delay. But I, I can't honestly say I've waited uh, I've ever waited that long for a prescription. Has it happened to anybody else? Is this something new that's happening because they are now just so busy? But you would imagine if you if your partner was in at the doctor. I mean, I've been in at the doctor where the they ask you what chemist you know, and you you name your chosen chemist, and you can see them typing it in. So you know, at times it is sent because it's an email, isn't it? That's how it's electronically uh, sent. So I'm I'm a bit confused as to why, if he was actually at the doctor, why it is taking so long. Let us know, uh, Mary, how you got on. I'd be interested to know how long in the end your partner did wait. But we'll throw it out there to others or any, anybody else having delays with getting a prescription between when your doctor. You either look for the prescription, maybe a pre- uh, repeat one, or you're in at the doctor, told you need a prescription. You tell them the chemist and then when you go to the chemist, they say, sorry, your prescription hasn't arrived uh, yet. Is it a common problem? 0818 103 103. John Paul taking the call. C103 Jobs. CE schemes are available in Churchtown, in Fremont, in Liscarroll, in Milford and in Dramina. Applicants must be in receipt of a qualifying social welfare payment for at least 12 months. Please apply to your local intro office or Evelyn can give you further details on 085 866 4039. Full and part-time mobile security officers are wanted. That's for night shifts in the North Cork uh, area 022 514 and O'Connor's Garage in Broadford. They've got vacancies for an experienced qualified motor mechanic. Now, full and part-time hours available. They're also looking for a full-time third or fourth-year apprentice mechanic and a first-year apprentice tyre fisher slash general operative. Uh, phone O'Connor's Garage in Broadford on 063 84333. And shuttering carpenters are wanted for immediate start it's for a project in Kinsale. Uh, contact um, 086-048-5589. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Now, yesterday we had so many calls and texts from people who were both shocked and upset having watched uh, the mistreatment of young dairy calves at Marts during the RTE Investigates programme on Monday night. Now, one of the contributors to the programme uh, was uh, Paula and her husband. Peter Hines, well-known dairy farmers in Ahrla. And uh, did I say Paula takes time out to talk to me today. Good morning to you, Paula. 
Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. OK, what was Thank your you. initial reaction when you first saw the undercover footage? Obviously, we, we saw the scenes of you sitting in your kitchen with Peter. You were shown the scenes mm-hmm. before we got to see them on TV. What was your initial reaction? Um, hugely disappointed. Obviously, I'd seen the scenes before everybody else. We did a full, um, it was a very intense interview. Um, it went on for like what you saw on the screens. It was a lot more intense than that. And it was nearly two hours long. Um, you know, for an industry that I love and for this, this for this to be happening, it's not acceptable. Um, and as bad as it is for our industry, it definitely needed to be highlighted because I can guarantee it, the vast majority of farmers in Ireland are absolutely disgusted with what's going on. And it's not good enough. Like we take a lot of pride in our animals and our calves. And, you know, just the disappointment is real. Yeah, we had a number of, I have to say, we had a number of dairy farmers uh, contact us uh, yesterday having watched uh, the programme. And even though it was well teed up and they'd ran a lot of ads, uh, people, you know, genuinely, genuinely uh, upset. And I certainly, and I know, and I know you, Paula, well over the years, you you do bless your heart, wear your heart on your sleeve and you could see (laughs) you were battling back uh, tears. You you really could uh, see it. But this is... while it's right to call it out and to show it, it's also right to point out this is the minority and not the majority. Oh, 100%. I mean, the amount of farmers I've spoken to over the last couple of days are absolutely ashamed and disgusted the same way as I am. Um, like... <laughs> Ah, uh, bless. I uh, listen, and, and and I didn't. I don't want to be upsetting you, but I, I and I, but, I know, and and I know. But like, we like farmers put a huge amount of work into the calving season. Like it's long hours. Like those calves are essentially babies. I treat them like like my when my kids were babies. Do you know, like there's a huge amount of work goes into them, and there's a huge emphasis on calf welfare, and ultimately. This is the scenario that there's just that very small minority in the industry are are doing a huge amount of damage. Have you ever witnessed animal cruelty when you're at the mart? To be very honest with you, thankfully, I don't go to marts a lot. I said it before, I don't like marts, but they're an essential part of our industry. Um, I'm When I do go to the mart, it's our local mart. I don't feel the need to go to marts in other counties or anything like that. And I'm just very lucky that I can sell a lot of my animals off farm. Um, But look, I unload my own calves at the mart if they're going. Um, There is sticks at marts. I understand they might need sticks for the older animals, but around calves and stuff, definitely there is absolutely no need for the calves to be moved with sticks or use sticks on them. Um, The other thing I have done with the last couple of years and I've take, we've taken it upon ourselves. We've invested hugely on extra calf um, sheds and stuff at home, along with a lot of other farmers in the country. I try to keep my fa- calves on farm till they're between four and six weeks of age. Um, I agree with calves going to the mart at 14 days. I think it's too young. It's not fair in them. They're only little babies, at least when they're coming up to four to six weeks. You know, they're eating a bit of meal and they're a bit stronger and they're 
they can move better on the concrete when they're being unloaded and stuff because a lot of calves at 14 days would never have seen concrete. So it's impossible for them to walk on like. And if you did witness animal cruelty, would you be brave enough to intervene, do you think? I would, yeah, 100% because like it's well, it's it's well known in my local march when the, the staff see me. They know who I am and like I have made it very clear that there is to be absolutely no sticks or no paddles or no nothing near any of my stock and I will move my own stock. Okay. And and what do you do? And it's 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 well it's well known in there. And 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 every farmer should they, should be should be the same. So people should have a fear of, of people. And yeah, but, but I suppose you know people feel people find it hard to speak up. Yeah, it's hard. I find it hard to speak. I genuinely like. I find it very hard to speak up and doing that interview on Monday night um, was extremely difficult. And like when we were asked to do that, I, you know, we didn't say yes straight away because I had to take in the consideration of my kids as well. And we all sat down as a family and discussed it and we discussed the pros and cons of it. And, and, you know, one of the girls turned around and said, well, you know, lads, mom and dad, if you don't do it, who is going to do it? So like, I, as much as I don't like it, I do try in some shape or form to do put myself out there and do speak out because some people, you know, I don't blame some people. They do find it hard, but like I do it to prove to my own kids that, you know, you have to stand up and talk and shout it from the rooftops for something that you believe in. And like they work as hard as we do in the springtime minding these calves. Like, you know, there's a huge amount of work goes into them and for, for them to end up like that. And what we saw on Monday night is just not acceptable. Yeah, well, there is the saying that what evil prevails when good people stay silent and, and you certainly didn't stay yeah. silent. Si- and it's just, silent. you know, people, some farmers just don't feel confident in doing it, unfortunately. By the way, so you, like men- I, you, we- me- you mentioned your girls. Did you allow your girls to watch the programme on Monday night? Yeah, I thought it was very important for them to watch it. Um, uh, they did get upset over it. Did they? Um, they were very, very angry with it. Georgie watched it as well and she's only nine but I felt it was important like situations like this we do our best to sit down as a family and we they obviously had seen the trailers and they knew that we were involved in the whole with the process with after being interviewed and I just felt that it was vital that they see what's going on and you know Georgie did leave the room at one stage. When you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because she couldn't look at it anymore. Like, Georgie's the child that sits inside in the ring, inside in the pins with the cats reading books to them. Like, I and, know, I've seen, you know, she, I've she seen puts it. A, she, she puts a lot of work in. Like, she helps in a huge amount in the spring as well. And, you know, like, they're just, they were horrified. Well, you've raised your girls with the respect of animals. Well, I've done my best anyway. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, here, cows are family. They're, they're, they're the number one priority in this household is the cows, the cows and the calves are priority above our own priority. They like at the end of the day, there's other animals on the farm and like, you know, they're fed before everyone else is fed and their <laughs> needs are taken care of first. Like the, like the same thing that happens on 99% of other farms across the country. The Department of Agriculture, we know, are launching an investigation following the broadcaster of the programme. What do you hope comes from that, uh, Paula? Well, I hope it's going to be a thorough investigation and a fairly swift one. Um, and ultimately, us as dairy farmers, um, we need answers as to how our industry is going to be protected going forward. Um, you know, we need to be ensured that the calf's welfare is going to be protected at all stages, not just at Marts, but also with the, the shipping situation. Um, do I agree with shipping? To a degree, I do. I think it's a vital part of our industry. Um, I do believe that calves need to be older being shipped. Um, I just hope that it's not going to be. I suppose I just hope that the powers that be that are there to represent us as farmers aren't going to shy away from this and they're going to step up to the mark and do their jobs and do the jobs that they're paid to do, which is represent us farmers. The way I'm feeling the last the last while, I feel that we're not being represented as farmers. And I think it's time they stood up and um, cop themselves on and do what's right and get this sorted ASAP. And what do you do with uh, bull calves, even though I, I'm listening to you on Monday night, you don't have that many bull calves. Is that is that correct? Um, we're trying to limit as many bull calves as we can. Um, we use sex semen on our best cows, cows that I want to breed my replacements from. There's um, a lot of work goes into that before breeding season. Um, I only use sex on my very, very best cows. Um, we use beef, fema- beef semen from day one on the cows of cows that aren't good enough to breed a replacement. So we've actually reduced down our Frisian semen a lot this year and the previous year. Um, so like we're, we're going in strong with a lot of beef to try and raise a better uh, beef animal for the, the beef farmer, the farmers that want to buy calves to take on and rear them themselves. Mm. Um, I keep my calves on farm for four to six weeks. Yes, it's a lot of work, but I think it's worth it. I'm offering a better, a stronger calf to the purchaser who's looking to rear on calves. No, there was some of my calves went for shipping, I'm not going to lie, but they were all good, strong calves. They were all over four weeks of age. They were all between 60 and 75 kilos. Um, so, like, they're, 
you know, they're a lot stronger than a, a poor little than calf the, going in at 14 days yeah, old. than the ones we saw on, on the uh, video footage. Somebody says, does the Department of Agriculture need to start doing more spot checks at marts and at ferry ports to make sure that the animals are treated properly? 100%. There needs to be a lot more checks carried out. Um especially with regarding the shipping, like at the end of the day, the shippers have a job to do as well. But I mean, you know, policy is part of it and there needs to be a lot of work done there going forward, in my opinion. Um, I have written a piece on this. It'll be in the farm exam tomorrow. If anyone wants to read my full analysis on the situation, I find it hard, as you as you know well, Patricia, I, I find know. it hard to answer things on the spot. I yeah. need to dwell no, on things you're, and I need no, to spend. No, you're, you're, you're really good. Uh, but I mean, I, re- I remember watching you on that programme <laughs> where you went out to Africa. And I, I yeah. mean, you poor thing. I, I mean, all I wanted to do was to give you a big hug and say it'll be OK. But you were so <laughs> upset. You were so upset for, for I mean, obviously for, for, for the people living in the village, but you were so upset about the animals. I mean, it, it, you really are the world's worst to send to a country like that, I felt at the Should time. I, like yeah, I've, yeah. You know, like I got animals have been a huge part of my yeah. life from, you know, when I we always had dogs when I was younger, but when I was 10, I plagued my father to get me a pony and it just took off from there and when we changed from horses to cows it was the same thing you know you need to treat your animals with respect and they respect you um at the end of the day the cows are my work colleagues I spent most I spend 90% of my time with them um and I you know that's where I feel the most relaxed and that's my to me milking the cows morning and evening is my time and that's where I can process things and get things straight in my own head and think about things. Um, I just genuinely hope that something is going to be done about this. Um, to know that it's not brushed under the carpet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's why like that's why it does need to be um, highlighted. And it was one of the points that I made uh, yesterday for all the ranting and ravings about RTE, uh, their public service broadcasting, when they do those investigations in, in RTE investigates, primetime investigates, they're brilliant and, and they show things that we need to they, be talking about. Like to, to, I take my hat off to them. They're after doing, no, it might be popular, but like they are very, very good at their job. Um, there is a huge amount of work gone into this. Um, and as I said earlier, yeah, it's a disaster for our industry, but like we have to, we have to step up. We have to own it. We have to put pressure on the people that are supposed to be representing us as farmers and make sure something is done about it. Okay. Listen, we and leave I just it. hope and pray it will be done. We leave it there, uh, Paul. I really appreciate talking to you and, and, and I'm sorry that we got you, you upset again. So look after yourself and we'll chat again. Thanks, Thanks for Trisha. that. Uh, bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, that is uh, Paula Hines, uh, who is a da- well-known dairy farmer in Aherla. And as I say, she did take part in the RT Investigates programme as, as a farmer, along with her husband, Peter and they got their reaction but you could see it that particular as I watched or I just said oh my god that girl is so close uh, to tears and I imagine she was in tears it just wasn't shown on camera according to a survey commissioned by employee benefit and pension specialists locked in Ireland uh, most women believe workers should have a right to work from home with workers split down the middle around value of higher pay over the flexibility of remote working joining me is Tom Curran and Tom is Head of Wellbeing at uh, Lockton, Ireland. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, you're welcome uh, to the programme. Is there one thing that we can thank the pandemic for, uh, Tom? Just how important working from home has become to so many people? 
Oh, 100%. And like when you look at the statistics, uh, according to the census last year, about a third of the workforce now actually do work from home for parts of their week. So that's probably one of the most transformative legacies, apart from, you know, the, the, the lockdowns and so on. But in terms of the transformational impact on the world of work, the work from home movement has been, you know, tremendous in terms of um, opportunities and certainly in terms of representation and flexibility and, you know, accommodating more into workforce has been fantastic but obviously it doesn't work for all industries but that's a question we might come on to in a second in terms of organizational productivity yeah and and do people working from home though do they need to be careful tom about blurring of the lines uh, between home and work life like when does the working day end for example yeah look and that, that's definitely one of one of the issues with with work from home it does blur the boundary between what's 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 home what's at work there some of the statistics we're seeing people report working longer hours at home, but also having increased productivity. So that doesn't really match up, you know, so they're conflating outputs and productivity. So definitely, definitely blurring boundaries. And even personally speaking, sometimes I might log onto the laptop, you know, at six o'clock in the evening, eight o'clock in the evening, or even, you know, seven o'clock in the mornings. But some days when I'm at work, if I'm in the office, once I close the laptop and get the bus home, that's my day done. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, so it's easy so from a psychological point of view, it's easier to, Kind of have a delineation when when you're in the office or or not. Yeah, you need to be need to really work on that to strike that balance. So, in your survey, you asked, I thought, a very interesting question, and this was to do with how comfortable people would be with their company putting a webcam on them, monitoring while them while they're at work, uh, while they're at home doing their work. Talk to me about the results of that question. So, so nationally, we found that a quarter of the population. Uh, would have no problem with turning on a webcam and then almost 60% would consider it a huge invasion of privacy and then only one in seven would actually agree to turn on the webcam if failure meant they'd have no option to work from home and interestingly we saw some regional variation on those numbers as well for example um, our friends in Cork mm-hmm. uh, only 18% would have a problem or sorry would be happy to turn it on and there were uh, much much higher numbers that would only turn it on if they would um lose the right to work from home. So definitely less appetite for webcam in Cork. And look, it, it speaks to, again, the blurring of boundaries and what's the rationale for even having a webcam? Like who's suggesting it? Um, we hear kind of anecdotally some employers are lobbying for for some um, for this to be included in the code of practice to be published by the WRC, but I'd be surprised if that actually became mandatory. Have, have you, you heard know, of any businesses who are already doing it? I don't know of anybody doing it yet, but I'm certainly hearing um, conversations Rumblings. where employers are yeah. ask ask what to happen, and like it's a big invasion of privacy. And personally, yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't be happy with it. But that's you know, like that's, would you would you have a CCTV I, I camera? No, know, no. But, but to me, that's that's down to the employer not trusting the employee is doing the work that they say they're doing. And, and look, and exactly that that that's that's the crux of the issue. It does it come down to trust and are the employees is, is productivity a question like what, what's the rationale and is it justifiable and if it's a trust issue then look it's far deeper in which case if it is a trust issue then when the work-life balance act is actually taking effect you can you can probably guess that employers would probably refuse requests mm. to allow work from home yeah it, and is it clear that uh, families with children i'm assuming are they the ones who prefer the work from home option but that, that's that, that's what we're, we're kind of um, extrapolating from the survey. So when we look at the different age cohorts, um, 
So the, the age bracket 25 to 34, they, they would tend to go for salary rather than flexibility, whereas the bracket of 35 to 44, would um, fewer would go for salary and more would go for flexibility. So we're assuming that that cohort has more caring responsibilities. And then when we look at the difference between male and female, males typically would go for the higher salary, whereas females are going for the job that would allow you to work from home. Um, and again, that does bring into play the, the DEI question of representation in the workforce. And look, we know from the stats that only about 60% of females are in the workplace compared to 71% of, of males. So there's a representation issue. So employers, you know, they, they should be approaching any request um, to work from home in a fair and reasonable manner to allow better representation, particularly of females. Yeah, and I'm assuming a lot of that is down to the cost of childcare and indeed the availability of childcare in some areas. 100%, you know, we're certainly one of the most um, expensive in Europe. So that's a huge barrier. And, you know, employers should be doing everything they can to minimise the impact of those barriers. And additionally, you know, it also allows males to, you know, have more kind of input into any caring responsibilities at home where traditionally they may not have had. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a disservice to many, of course, but traditionally, you know, that wouldn't have been the case. And Tom, do you, do you think with the new law to give employees the right to request uh, remote uh, working, do you think that's going to help to bring more and help more women back into or to enter the workforce? I think it will, because allowing or offering the right to work from home means, firstly, you're actually you know matching what females are asking for in terms of our service. And then it's going to allow those with any caring responsibility to have the flexibility to get back into the workplace because they may not have kind of standard kind of work hours and they can juggle um, any caring responsibilities with um, work requirements. So I think yeah, it'd, be, it'd be a huge step to um, increasing engagement and representation. Okay. All right. Listen, interesting results in your survey. Uh, we thank you for joining us and talking to us about it today. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Tom Curran and Tom is Head of Wellbeing at uh, Lockton, Ireland. 0818 103 103. I can see... Uh, some commentary uh, coming in following my chat uh, a couple of minutes ago with Paula Hines and the dairy farmer in Aherlow took part in the Primetime Investigates uh, programme. Uh, somebody says, uh, Patricia, what an amazing lady Paula is. And if all farmers loved their animals like the way she does, and you can clearly hear the passion that she has for her animals in her voice, I, I'm sure uh, they, we wouldn't have any problem at all in this uh, country. Yeah, absolutely for sure. And someone else said that they remember visiting a mart a number of years ago. They were absolutely disgusted to see a fella kicking a cow into the face to get him back in line into the ring. There was also a girl working there that was belting the animals. It was disgraceful. The, what I witnessed was so bad I would never go uh, again. And I can't, uh, and, and I know it's a tough thing to do to stand up and say, oi, what, you know, what are you doing? Uh, but isn't that what needs to happen? It's people witnessing that kind of abuse of animals is to actually intervene and say, stop, you shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, if more people stood up because they thought it made me smile when Paula says when she goes to the march, they know her uh, so well. And, you know, she refused to let anybody else ha- handle her cattle except herself. So she has a reputation that she will stand up to people if they dare try to in any way dis- be disrespectful or cruel to her animals. So maybe we need more people to, s- to stand up and speak up on behalf of these animals 
who obviously can't speak up for themselves. Some people reacting to uh, Mary who uh, contacted us from uh, North Cork and the problem that her partner is having with a prescription from the doctor just not being electronically sent through to the chemist and was told it could take up to two days but when Mary contacted us yesterday it was last Thursday and they still hadn't received the prescription up to uh, yesterday. Uh, Hi uh, Patricia, Uh, even though somebody called me Melinda but thank you for that. Um, What about the lack of GPs in Charleville since the retirement of uh, Dr Malloy and that's an issue we have that she be covered on uh, the programme with um, Anne Hurley uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Nobody seems to be doing anything about it for the good people of Charleville. There's now only three doctors instead of five and it's caused a huge problem. It has. We've got um, people to travel outside of Charleville because all of the other doctors' practices are unfortunately full. So it is a massive, massive uh, problem. Dan says on prescriptions, uh, for some doctors it is taking up to five days to get a repeat prescription issued. So that might be a word of warning to people because if you if you need a, a repeat prescription, even though chemists usually are very good if it's a repeat prescription and it's late coming through and it's going to be the same prescription that it was for the last three to six months, they usually they'll do leeway and give you the tablets because some people need to have their medication every single day. It is vital that they have their medication every single day. But maybe a word of warning to give doctors enough notice for repeat prescription, you know, don't be leaving it until the day before your monthly or, or three monthly supply is run out. Maybe get on to your doctors. Somebody else said, Patricia, the electronic prescriptions that was introduced during COVID times and it can take up to 48 hours, uh, but a week is not normal. Something very odd indeed and there's something gone wrong there. Yeah, I mean, to me, it looks like somewhere along the line, poor old Mary's partner's uh, prescription went missing. It's, it's got to be something like that. There's got to be an error. It, it, it simply can't take that long. I do think the electronic prescriptions are a terrific uh, idea because previous to that, I remember when I was looking for repeat prescriptions, I used to have to ring up, order the repeat prescription, then you used to have to call in and get it, and then you had to go over to the G- to the to the chemist. I think the electronic way of doing it is the way forward, you know, and, and it, it certainly works uh, for patients and for the doctors. But it only works if you're getting your prescription on time. 0818103103. John Paul is taking your calls. I'm not looking for gardening questions today because Peter's not available to us, although he will be back with us next Wednesday. So hold off on uh, gardening questions. Huge amount of commentary again, still coming in on the Ryan Tupperty saga, or as Noel Kelly says, it isn't the Ryan Tupperty scandal, it's the RTE scandal. And also a lot of commentary coming in following my chat with uh, Paula Hines about the RTE Investigates programme. We'll look at that and more all coming up before we get to commentary that's come into the programme this morning. Sheila Skibbereen was on to us to say she found two keys. Uh, one, she said, is definitely a house key and the other is a car key. Now, she found them uh, on Monday and it was in Skibbereen town. She went straight to the guard the station. She's handed them in there, but she decided to give us a, a shout so that we could call it out for fear anyone scrambling to try to find their house key. And the car key can be an expensive one as well if you don't have a second uh, car key. So if it's you or you know of somebody who lost a house key and a car key in, and they were in Skibbereen on Monday, pop along to the local guard the station. Uh, they're looking after those keys for you. And thank you, Margaret, for contacting us uh, this morning. Hi, Patricia. Let's go firstly to commentary in on Ryan Doberty. We have always known, says this texter, that RTE presenters are paid eye-watering salaries. And any extra percentage that may or may not have been given to Ryan Tuberty would have been a drop in his Frahulak ocean. That's a given. Suddenly this year, Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly are being crucified 
for RTE's shortcomings at the end of the day. What's been done to these two men resembles the finale of the movie Ryan's Daughter. Remember where the jealous mob take over? To me, there was always an irony in the grilling of two citizens whose payment was negotiated by politicians who voted for their own pay increases. And some of these politicians seem more interested in hearing their own long, convoluted questions than than getting the answers. Thank you for covering uh, this issue. Uh, Yeah, I would have to agree with you about um, they were at times it felt like they were like a baying mob, even though reading through the papers today, they they was felt that they weren't as certainly the PAC wasn't as hard on Ryan Tupperty and Noel Kelly than say they were in the RTE executives last week. That was really like a baying mob at one stage. But I do agree some of the questioning and the line of questioning and the convoluted questions that were asked, there was really no need for. And then when they put an answer at the end of this big statement, whoever was trying to answer the question barely got a chance and they were in straight away. You're not answering, you're not answering. I was like, would you give them a chance, please, to answer? And what annoyed me was the repetition of the questions. They just seemed to be going over and over and over a lot of the items that had already been covered and none of the answers uh, were changing. Uh, Thank you for your text. The state should not bail out RTE, says a texter. Instead, the government should sell RTE and that includes its valuable D4 campus. I spotted actually on one of the papers that Kevin Backhurst is looking at that. He's looking at either selling off or completely moving out of uh, Montrose. This texture says if politicians need a public service broadcaster, they can establish a new one modelled on, say, the slimline TG Cahar version and look, locate it perhaps in a town like Port Arlington or any similar town that is a, was well served by a uh, train network. So get it out of Dublin because we know land is so expensive and renting is so expensive in Dublin. So move it out. That's loan, wasn't that's loan once the home of uh, RTE. But I know the point you're making, but it is Kevin Backhurst is certainly looking at selling off, if not all of the D4 campus. He certainly talks in the papers today of trying to sell off some of it. Patricia on the Ryan Tuberty saga. I wonder, would you, I or any other person, would we refuse extra salary if it was offered to us? I bet we would not. I, for one, would find it hard to say, no, don't give me that extra money. I really don't need it. I'm getting paid well enough as it is. I'm not saying that he should be getting the extra amount of money. It's just it's hard to refuse if somebody is offering you extra pay, which is a very, very valid point. Texter says, people like Ryan Tuberty have an agent. That agent is hired to get the best deal for their clients. That's what Noel Kelly was doing and Noel Kelly, by God, was good at his job. RTE are totally at fault here. In my opinion, they, RTE, paid the money they, RTE, disclosed incorrect figures. I think if they get rid of Ryan Tuberty, he will take them to the cleaners in court. They have hung Ryan Tuberty out to dry. I wonder if all of those who questioned Ryan yesterday were audited. Will they all come out so squeaky clean? And that's from our Margaret in uh, Canturk. But it is true. He does. He has. He employs an agent for that reason. And that's what agents uh, do. But my point, and I know I brought it up yesterday, I think it was with, with Christopher O'Sullivan before he went into the Iraq this committee meeting. I just felt at the time when COVID had struck and we were just starting into COVID was when this five-year contract was being negotiated and at that stage he was on close to half a million. I just felt, could he not have said the, the country is heading into a very, very uncertain time. RTE certainly were already on very shaky grounds. They already 
were running out of money left, right and centre. This was a company that had given him a really, really good job with sizable salaries over the years, as he said himself. He was in there since he was 12. I didn't realise. I think he was on a kids programme or something wasn't he, when, he, when he was 12. He's only ever worked for RTE. I just read, could he not have sat back and said, OK, I've made in the last number of years, eight million out of this uh, company. He's worth a lot of money. It's not that he needs the money to keep the roof over his head or to put uh, food in the mouth of his children. So it wasn't that he necessarily needed that pay. I just wondered, did he at any stage ever say, I'm already highly paid. The the company, IERT, is struggling. People are taking pay cuts. People on much lower pay are taking pay cuts. People are losing uh, their jobs all over the country because of COVID. Could he not have said, look, for the foreseeable future, for a period of time when we get through uh, COVID, reduce my pay and I'll even take 250,000. You know, I'm not saying to him that he goes on the average uh, industrial wage or works for the minimum uh, wage. But I just wondered, did that ever go through his head at any uh, stage? But, but yeah, your point is right. Nobody ever... No, nobody, I don't think anyone in the world has ever said it, when an employer comes and says, I'm going to give you a pay increase. I got no, keep that yourself. I'm sure I'm doing OK. Yeah, you're, you're right on that point uh, for sure. OK, by text, uh, Patricia, I am absolutely disgusted at the way people are trying to belittle a good, honourable man like Ryan Tuberty, Ryan Tuberty, in my opinion. He's been treated like a criminal. I firmly believe the man is telling the truth and I don't doubt him for a second. And I think it's all the result of his trusting nature. I firmly believe he's an honest man and I'm ashamed at the amount of begrudgers that we have in this uh, country. Yeah, I did feel at one stage yesterday looking at us thinking, God, they are in, in some of the line of questioning. They were being treated like uh, criminals. You wondered do masked murderers face the same kind of interrogation that the two boys in, faced yesterday. I mean it was tough go. I wouldn't have swapped with them I'll tell you that. Hi Patricia, Ryan Tuberty would still be working only that he got caught. He's a performer 100%. He has enough money to keep him going for the rest of, the, the rest of his life if he never decides to work again. I had to survive on 200 euro a week during uh, COVID and that's a number of people again picking up on not happy when he said that he was burnt out after COVID. Okay, they're just a snapshot again of some of the calls and texts still coming in about Ryan Tuberty. And then we move to the other RTE issue and this time for all the right reasons. The RTE Investigates programme on uh, Monday night. Hi Patricia, I hear you again speaking about those poor little calves and all of the and all animals should be treated with care and respect. Maybe those people who are delivering live animals, do they forget that these animals feel pain? They feel thirst, they feel hunger. And I put this in yesterday when somebody sent in a tem- similar text. They're also missing their mothers because they're tiny babies. Anyway, uh, just because they are been taken to be used for food, it doesn't take from the fact that they are living, feeling creatures people really need to think about that and then a slew of uh, texts in following my chat with uh, Paula in the last hour let me bring you uh, some of those Hi Patricia Chagas and the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation have a lot to answer for and be blamed for when we see the level of cruelty imposed on calves on the TV on Monday night Jersey Cross Calves 
are not suitable for beef production dairy farmers. They must use dual breeds, says Tim, who is obviously somebody in the know. Hi, Patricia. You can easily tell an honest farmer. And Paula, who you spoke with in the last hour, uh, is absolutely one of them. But I am, uh, I am sorry, you've no idea of what goes on in some dairy farmers. I have been on many farms for a whole host of different reasons. What I've witnessed is 20 times worse than what was shown in the film footage by RTE on Monday night. The bottom line is the bull calf and sick cattle that are costing money to keep alive are worthless to dairy farmers. And the farmers I'm talking about should never be left to keep an animal again. They are destroying the honest dairy farmer on which there are many. The calf problem is generated by the dairy farmer. If you response, and they are the ones responsible to sort it out, not the taxpayer, before they come asking the department for assistance. Sorry, I, w- I can't come on air because some dairy farmers uh, would take your head off for speaking the uh, truth. And someone else is, is signed a very angry suckler farmer said, watching uh, the programme on Monday night, it simply was uh, awful. Uh, but I'm also not in favour of farmers coming out giving out about the treatment that some of the cattle were getting. It is the big dairy farmers that have expanded their herds enormously that have created the huge number of low value bull calves. They are clearly the cause of this problem and they should be made to rear and keep those calves until they are factory finished themselves. Dairy expansion has been a huge mistake. Look at the environmental damage as well. The dairy sector has tarnished the entire agricultural industry and that signed a very angry suckler farmer. Pat in Limerick says, why does it take an RT investigates programme to reveal all of these things? This should not be happening if the people working and in charge of these situations were doing their jobs correctly. It's time for heads to roll and for those in positions of power to be held accountable and I go so far as to say lose their jobs. Um, And Paula, that Cork farmer that you spoke to, fair play to her. She's dead right that their organisations that are supposed to be there for them should start acting for them and stand up for farmers and stand up for farming in Ireland and not let this culling of cattle, etc. And then the importation of cattle from Brazil, many of them full of hormones, happen as we have the best beef in the world and we need to protect that. Thanking you. That's Pat in Limerick. And just a final one from uh, Michael that says, Patricia, on the animal cruelty issues, I think the fault is in a minority of cases, but it's driven by greed. The number of calves going through the marts at peak peak times is simply unreal. I wonder are department officials still on the ground in marts? Do vets, for example, do spot checks at marts and the assembly facilities run by these export dealers? I remember many years ago, a vet on my own farm was working on a cow and the cow kicked out at him. The vet took a bar from behind the animal and started to hit her. I was absolutely horrified. I immediately told him to stop doing what he was doing. I think the vet just lost it. I think March staff 
in the most part are very professional. Again, we're back to this is a minority who don't keep the rules and that's what we need to do. We need to weed out the uh, minority. That certainly is what needs to happen. 0818103103 and just a couple of people in on the prescription charges if I can find those uh, texts. Somebody said yes, absolutely. Nearly every GP practice now will tell you you need to ring 48 hours in advance if you are looking for a repeat prescription. And someone else says, Patricia, my son's prescription was sent to the wrong pharmacy. Says Margaret, I ended up having to go back to the doctor to have it reissued to the correct pharmacy. Goodness me, I suppose, yeah, that's an admin mistake uh, and that can be made as well. And a final one in from Jim when we were talking about working from home and remote working. Uh, Jim was uh, listening to the radio last night and he was listening in on a discussion about maternity leave and payment. And it was said that the, the then Taoiseach said that mothers that wanted to stay at home to mind their children, they should be allowed, they should do it for the first formative years of their lives, but they should be paid to do that if they so wished. And, th- and that is the problem, uh, Jim. Uh, many young mothers today would love to be able to stay at home and to be there for that first, you know, four formative uh, years. But unfortunately, if you are if you have a large mortgage hanging around your neck, which many young couples uh, do, where they need both incomes coming in just to keep the mortgage afloat, then a lot of mothers who'd love the opportunity of staying at home for a few years simply can't do it because they can't afford to do it unless, as you say, the government steps, steps in and uh, pays them and pays them properly. 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Kiltus Weekly Session is starting tonight 8 o'clock it's in the Heritage Centre in Fremont and the special guest tonight is Francis Kennedy and admission will be 10 euro an evening of ballads and folk music will be on tomorrow night Thursday at the Palace Theatre in Fomoy with the Kilkenny's and the Fogues it starts at 8 if you want to get your tickets today you can 025 32042 and the numbers drawn this week for the Nazareth House Lotto 12, 19, 28 and 32. No jackpot uh, winner. That means the jackpot is €10,000 next uh, week. And everybody in Asworth House would like to thank everyone for their continued uh, support. And the next Kildarri Lotto draw uh, will be held in their community office tomorrow Thursday at four o'clock in the afternoon. And there'll be a Kaylee in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic on Friday night, half past nine. Music by Jerry McCarthy. Admission 10 euro, but it does include teas. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on c103. Now, a deadly disease with a 100% kill rate among crayfish has been detected in Cork for the first time, with authorities now fighting to contain the outbreak. Claire Herdman is a conservation ranger with the National Parks and Wildlife Service. And Claire uh, joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Claire. Good afternoon, Patricia. Delighted to be with you today. And, and lovely to have you on the programme. It's called Crayfish Plague. Where and how in Cork was it discovered? 
Um, it's called crayfish plague. It just affects our native crayfish, which is the white-clawed crayfish. Um, it was first discovered in Ireland, the disease, in 2015 and has been spreading slowly. But um, this is the first time we've had an outbreak in County Cork um, on the, and it's on the Blackwater catchment. So it was first discovered. The Marine Institute have a, a special sampling device that samples what's called eDNA. So it's kind of actually sampling the organism that causes the crayfish plague, which is a type of fungus through the DNA in the water. Um, but then subsequently, um, dead um, crayfish were found by um, a local aquatic biologist up there in Mallow. And so, and since then, the monitoring has shown it spread. Originally, it was found on the Orbeg, um, but it's subsequently been found around Mallow and uh, Fomoy, so on the greater Blackwater catchment. And as you said, yes, it has 100% mortality. The crayfish has no resistance to it. So Goodness. we're looking really at a wipeout on that catchment, but really the big thing is trying to stop it then spreading to other rivers where there are, are crayfish. And, and you say it's caused by a fungus. Do we, do we know how it starts, how, how it ended up in the river? Well, we don't know for sure how it got to this river, but what we think, like in Europe, it can be spread through a, um, a, a non-native type of crayfish, which actually doesn't die of the disease, but can be a host and, and therefore spread it. In Ireland, we think it's just been inadvertently spread by people. So really what we're calling on in terms of containment is that whatever you do on a water body, whether you're kayaking, um, angling, even if you're just taking the kids for a paddle, there's a protocol called check, clean, dry. So the idea is when you, put, when you come out of the water, really check your equipment, whether it's nets, kayaks, paddles, whatever, you know, just make sure there's no stuff on them. Um, and then the cleaning is about power hosing, disinfecting. And then the organism, you can't see this plague. It's, it's invisible in the water, um, but it can't survive for more than sort of, 24, 48 hours out of water. So the idea is you then dry your equipment and um, and, and then, yeah. For yeah, use, then, for use the, then, ne- yeah, the next so it's, time. Clean, so it's just check, clean, dry. So it's, it's this idea of having all your equipment clean and dry before you go back into a, into another water body. Because it's not just about crayfish plague. We have other invasive plants, other um, zebra mussels. So it's really about stopping the spread of all these diseases between water bodies. Because, um, there, yeah, there are major threats to the ecology of these. And Claire, Claire, where else in the country has this crayfish it was, well, it was first found in Cavern in 2015, but it's also in the you know in the big rivers like the Shannon, the the Nore, the Shore, the Barrow, those kinds of things. So it's it's mostly associated with more limestone catchments. Um, so that's because that's where the crayfish occur. But you know, the Blackwater is obviously a huge river. You know, it's mm. pretty well the full length of Cork and tips up into. I found it's a five county, so it just tips into Kerry. And you know, if you look at the whole catchment, so Kerry, Limerick, and then of course comes out at the sea in in Waterford. So. Is it um, is this disease harmless to people or to other an, uh, 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 or other animals? Yeah, that's something to that important question that you raised there. Yes, so it is harmless to people and pets and other aquatic organisms. So it's exclusively the the crayfish that it affects. But the crayfish are very important in terms of our overall biodiversity. Um, you know, they're an important part of the ecosystem of, of the Blackwater, which is it, the Blackwater is designated as a special area of conservation, and the crayfish is one of the. The, you know, the, the main reasons that the river is designated along with things like pearl mussels and otters and things like that. So it, it is a very important river. And these, you know, Ireland has probably the best population left in Europe of, of the freshwater crayfish. So, you know, it, we are an important country for it. Yeah. And other than people doing the check, clean and dry uh, protocol that, that you mentioned, is there is there anything that you can do to, to try to stop it or reverse it in, in any way? Um. Well, like I said, the main thing really is about containment and people just, you know, following the, the check, clean, dry protocol. I mean, if anyone sees a dead crayfish, 
Um, you can log the site in with the National Biodiversity Data Centre. They have an online, it's, it's biodiversity.ie is the website, and you can just log your site in there with a, with a photograph. Um, but in terms of, yeah, that's the main thing we can do is actually yeah. stop it spreading to yeah. additional rivers. I mean, if the crayfish are completely wiped out and the, um, you know, obviously the organism can only survive so long when there's no crayfish there. So, I mean, there might be possibility of reintroducing them at a later stage but you know really we don't want to go down that route it's really about trying to protect what we do have yeah you know and and as you say we, we are one of the last remaining outposts for this white clawed uh, crayfish are we at real risk of extinction here yeah that's uh, definitely a risk it's definitely a risk that we could be looking for extinction of it um not just in ireland but in other european countries mm. sure i mean we're hoping there's some resistance i mean often Diseases, you know, like Dutch elm disease and other diseases, you know, kind of more or less wiped out species. You know, sometimes just you might just get one or two um, that develop resistance. You know, so we're hope, hopeful that uh, there will be some crayfish that become resistant to it. But at the moment, the experience is, is not looking good in other water bodies where it's been found. Okay, so so report you're saying, and uh, the the check, clean, and dry uh, protocol is so uh, important. Are you busy at uh, as a conservation ranger at the moment? Well, I'm, I've actually been promoted. I'm now the district conservation oh. officer. So I am very, very busy. So I'm covering most of County Cork. So, yeah, it, it is, it's is—it's very busy at the moment. So, um, yeah, there's lots going on. I mean, if anyone is around water bodies, there's also a national otter survey going on at the moment. So, again, if you look at the Biodiversity Data Centre, you can log in the otter sightings. We'd be very interested in those. There's a, a barn owl survey of County Cork going on at the moment. So, again, lots of interest if, if anyone knows the barn owls nesting near them so yeah always, yeah, we carried an interview on, on that a couple of weeks ago about the barn because oh, they're right, bored they're such beautiful creatures as well they, they really they're beautiful, are gorgeous. yeah. So, they're gorgeous. but yes we're always very busy with, with various things okay well done land. well done well keep it up and uh, Claire pleasure speaking to you thank you for that and thanks for joining us Great, thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Good afternoon. There's Claire uh, Herdman, Conservation Ranger with the National Parks and Wildlife, which unfortunately, the bad news that that uh, crayfish crayfish plague has arrived in Cork in the Blackwater. People using the river, please uh, do your bit. 0818103103. I can see some gardening questions coming in for Peter, just to remind uh, you that Peter is not available to us today, but he will be back with us next week. So hold off on your gardening questions and you can get them into us next week instead. Uh, I mentioned, uh, was it Jim, one of our listeners that heard a piece on um, another radio station yesterday about uh, allowing, this was to do with remote working, but it was to do with young mothers when they have their, their children, that there should be something in place that if the young mother wants to remain at home for the first four years, the, the four most informative years of a child's life, that they should be allowed to remain at home, but that the government should pay them and facilitate them uh, to be able to do them. Well, that has infuriated a listener who says, I cannot believe what I'm hearing. Absolutely no way should women be allowed to stay at home and be paid to mind their own children. They have six months paid maternity leave already. That's enough. At the end of the day, it's their choice to have children. I have no issue if that child has special needs or if somebody has to take time out to look after an elderly parent. That's fine. They need payment uh, all right as they are probably housebound and are full-time carers but dead against the notion that we will be paying mothers to stay at home for a full four years. Not happy. 0818 103 103. Hi Patricia and Ryan, uh, Tuberty and Noel uh, Kelly. They are as culpable as RTE. They knew full well 
a walk around, that this was a walk around to his payout. They know that that was put in place. And the selective invoice description and a request to invoice a subsidiary of RTE that wasn't even in this country, it was over in the UK, that simply backs it all up. Ryan T is taking the public for fools. Noel Kelly did a good job for his client. It may not be illegal, but what they did was wrong, wrong, wrong. That's kind regards from John in uh, Dunmanway. Somebody wants to know, what about Marty Morrissey? Is he going to be held account for his uh, free car? <laughs> that was, wasn't mentioned yesterday. He is. There's an investigation going on within RTE and Kevin Backhurst, the incoming DG, uh, said no, he wasn't going to be involved in that investigation because he's fessed up and said that uh, Kevin Backhurst and Marty Morrissey are good friends. So he has recused himself from that investigation. But there is somebody else looking into that. Now, whether we'll get to hear what comes out of it, uh, I don't know. And someone else wants to point out, plain and simple, Noel Kelly, as an agent, did a very good job for Ryan Tuberty. At the end of the day, that's what he's paid to do. Hi, Patricia. Ryan Tuberty should resign, pay all the money back. And I also feel people should not pay their TV licence. Someone else is taking, Mary's taking umbrage to another listener who was very critical of people having a go at Ryan Tuberty and described Ryan Tuberty as a very honourable man and is not happy at the way he's been attacked. Mary says, honourable man with a lot of exclamation marks after the words honourable man. Says who? Not in my eyes, says Mary. Both men didn't give us any answers yesterday but just blamed RTE for everything. If RTE told them to jump off a tall building, would they do it? Cop on, we're not fools, says uh, Mary. And I thought that was rather clever, actually. One of the speakers yesterday made the point, uh, one of the Oireachtas members yesterday made the point that his late father used to always, you know, if you came home and why'd you do it? I did it because somebody told me to do it. Uh, you know, would you would you jump off a bridge? If uh, Would you jump into a, a fire if somebody told you to do it? But that did seem to be Noel Kelly's defence as to why he sent that invoice, uh, which was consultancy fees when it was nothing to do with consultancy fees and sent it to a company in the UK that he'd never heard of before. His his answer and his reason for doing it was he was told to do it by RTE. 0818 John Paul's taking calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. I play those greatest hits you know from the very first note. Like this one. Here's another one. And another one. Here's another. Life is a mystery. And they're all Cork's greatest hits. Nick Richards. Weekdays from one. C103. Amazon Prime Day is here. With two days of epic deals on electronics, home, kitchen and more, you'll feel like you've just won an award. Wow! I didn't even prepare a speech. Um, I'd like to thank my delivery driver for bringing my package so quickly. The other Amazon Prime members are... My Someone's cat. feeling like a big deal. Amazon Prime Day is the 11th and 12th of July, exclusively for Prime members. Shop now. Living in Cork and still struggling with slow and unreliable broadband? Imagine is connecting thousands of homes to high-speed broadband in Cork right now. 
So, why wait? With Imagine rated excellent by Trustpilot, you'll soon be working from home with ease, streaming your favourite shows and sports uninterrupted. Join the thousands of connected homes and businesses today at imagine.ie. Service subject to availability, terms and conditions apply. FBD doesn't stand for 50 bees droning. Fabulous Brazilian dancers. Or flat battery doctors. FBD stands for support. We support van drivers in Ireland with up to 75% off new van policies. Visit your local branch to talk to your FBD insurance team. FBD insurance. Support. It's what we do. 75% off based on five years no claims discount. Terms and conditions apply. Underwritten by FBD Insurance PLC. FBD Insurance Group Limited, trading as FBD Insurance, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Summer is heating up and so are the savings at Casey's Furniture. Our sizzling summer sale is now on with scorching discounts of up to 60% off. Upgrade your home with incredible deals on living, dining, bedding and flooring. Shop now at caseys.ie or visit our stores in Cork and Limerick. Don't miss out on the hottest deals of the season. Okay, you tuned to C103. John Paul, we're missing that um, jingle again uh, there. Um, we must get that sorted. Anyway, uh, let me go back to quickly to a text in, or call in, sorry, from Trish and Blackpool. This is to do with prescriptions. Um, Trish says, I'm on long-term prescription. Every time I order, I have the same battle. The length of time it gets to be processed from the doctor electronically sending it out to the chemist. And by the way, says Trish, I do order in plenty of time. But she's also raising another issue that many chemists now don't give a 30-day supply. What they give you instead is a four-week supply, which is 28 days. And therefore, every month you have to end up going in before the end of the calendar month because you don't have enough supply. I don't know if that's a chemist issue. I think that's down to what the doctors write on the prescription. That's something, Trish, that you need to speak to your doctor about because you can get a 30-day supply the chemist can only give you what the doctors put on the script. 0818103103. Let me go to uh, Joan. Good afternoon to you, Joan. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're getting sick and tired of the whole Ryan Tuberty <laughs> no, saga. I just <laughs> rang John Paul to pass the comments, really. I'm absolutely exhausted from listening to the repetitive nature of the RTE Ryan Tuberty saga. It's on prime time. It's on the Tonight Show. It's on the news three and four times a day. Now I don't have to watch it, but I psychologically sit down and watch it. But it's getting so bad. Would they not concentrate on the important issues and start that out and let us know when it is started? Mm. Because there are more important things. Those calves, now I take that intending to watch it but having seen the trailer a few times I just deleted it last night yeah. because it would just tough depress watch. me it was a tough watch yeah Completely, so I didn't watch that. Yeah, but is 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 some of this? I mean, okay, I can understand why RTE are putting so much emphasis on it because obviously the workers in RTE are the ones really being uh, affected by it. But from the government's point of view and the Oireachtas committees and and all of that, is it very much taking the focus off? There's nobody talking about the government. There's nobody talking about what's wrong with the country. Does not suit the the government in many ways. Maybe. Or are we being a bit cynical? Maybe it's an excuse. Yeah. Because, like, really, a lot of it is the repetitive at this stage. Yeah. 
and we've heard about flip-flops and we've heard about the money and we've heard a hundred times in the last three weeks. Yeah. And it's interesting a few times, but at this stage now, when I see their heads again, I literally, I have a tape because I automatically tape Primetime and The Tonight Show and I may not watch it on the day, but I would skip through it and if I'm interested, but I've skipped through it now once or twice because I'm just cheesed off. I was coming out to Reckormack the other day and I noticed uh, a beautiful picnic area a few miles outside Permoy, literally grass growing. You could not stop with a child or an adult and sit out. Now, I doubt if there are nests down on the floor. Mm. I'm just wondering what at all is the world or the council coming to? I can understand all this leaving grass and trees and hedges grow but this I mean summer is here it should have been done for July and August Yeah, and we're minus another smaller picnic area that's gone it's, well, it's, and, I, and I know if we get on to the council, even though they usually are quite good if we get on to them and, and point out an area, because I know we mentioned an area yesterday, the day before, that had grown a bit wild and somebody was on to me to say, uh, that as soon as you mentioned it, it was cut that afternoon. Uh, it's down to lack of staff. That they'll tell you straight away, they don't have the outdoor staff anymore that they used to have. And they're waiting on contractors to come in and do it. Yeah, it's dreadful. Now yeah. maybe this is done. This was maybe um, the middle of last week when we passed and it was my husband said to me do you see that I was staring in the opposite direction and when I looked the grass was there was one car and the kids were kind of the doors were open and they were sitting in the car having minerals and stuff yeah now if that was a nice place and really not so nice just suitable to get out and sit they would have been out. It was a fine day, you yeah, know. It's, yeah, yeah. It's a pity. There are it's so a pity. many things. Yeah, there's others. There's there's others. Actually, um, somebody. It, it was the weeds. Um, there was uh, the. Ballyderone Bridge. Somebody contacted us Ballyderone Bridge and, and the overgrowth of the hedges and, and weeds along along that area. And Fimber was back on to say you mentioned it on Monday. <coughs> just to say it was done yesterday. So that's good uh, to see. And someone else is kind of agreeing when she says, Hi Patricia, all this media coverage about RTE is a deflection from the real issues uh, in our lives. The cost of living, high mortgage repayments, high rents, both. Uh, and, and these issues don't bother me, but I do feel for those that are being affected by it. And yeah, that's and I mean, the doctors, the prescriptions, now we're lucky, we get them. Yeah. Um, I'd ring and within two days they're in the pharmacy. But I'm sure those people are correct in saying four, five, six days. Yeah, days, which is which is crazy. It's crazy. It's length of time. crazy. All right, we we'll leave it. Listen, thank you for that, okay. uh, Joan, thanks and uh, thanks uh, for joining Bye. us. I want to get to uh, some more of the texts uh, that are in. Uh, this is a listener back to Jim saying that mothers should be paid to stay at home. On Jim's comment about mothers. Uh, should be should be allowed to stay at home for at least the first four years of a child's life, the formative uh, years. And Patricia, when you mentioned it, you agreed with it, but said it was simply unaffordable for people. They couldn't afford to stay at home. Interestingly, this exact issue is covered by the women in the home clause in our constitution. In contrast to the popular summary of this clause, it does not force women into the kitchen. Instead, it wants women 
to have the choice so that if they want to stay at home, they should not be forced to work outside of the home by economic necessity. No wonder the government want to get rid of this clause in an autumn referendum before women take a class act against the state. And by God, there'd be a lot of people to take a class act against the state, I can tell you, because a lot of people are forced out of the home for economic reasons. They need to simply pay the bills. And just a couple of more, Patricia, on about Chagas. Chagas were the ones preaching to farmers to get bigger and to farm the New Zealand way. Well, it's all backfiring now, isn't it? Chagas should be ashamed of themselves. Nothing said about that on the programme on Monday. And hi, Patricia. RTE investigates on the treatment of animals. If if I was not already a vegetarian, that programme would certainly have made me one. I also hope that people mistreating animals are prosecuted. Thanking uh, you, wishing both you and John Paul well. Hi, Patricia. The RTE payment scandal is excellent television and it's a break from the humdrum of people uh, complaining. Someone else says RTE should have a representation there to put their side of the story across yesterday and someone else not happy would not be happy to see Ryan Tuberty back on air although he put in a good performance yesterday it's simply not believable I believe he had full knowledge and that his agent was trying to screw over RTE for the maximum amount of money they could get from RTE perhaps not illegal but very disappointing I have more I'd have more respect if Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly just apologised and said look we took it too far I feel so sorry for all the decent, hard-working RTE workers. That's where we leave it for today. And thank you uh, to everybody who contributed to the programme today. Huge, huge uh, reaction. We really appreciate it. Uh, John Paul, um, produced Nick Richards next. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.